Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not your first vaccine. I am not your second vaccine. I am not your booster shot. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. Our first question on this rainy day comes from qcbad.com. Subject, Thanksgiving Quandary. Dear Quinn, My husband and I would always go to my mother-in-law's home and have a small meal with her on Thanksgiving. My sister and my husband's brother always celebrated with their spouses, families, and kids. But my mother-in-law just passed away, and now my sister-in-law has invited us over. My husband is still grieving his mom and wants to spend time with his brother, which I get. I'd suck it up, but the fact is that in the last two months, we've driven up and back from L.A. to the Central Valley of California more than six times, caring for the ailing mother, mother's funeral plans, cleaning the house, prepping the sale, etc., etc., etc. And we're racking up huge boarding fees because we can't take the dogs when we visit. I don't want to let my husband down, but I am exhausted. What do I do? Your husband needs this communion with his brother. You do not. This is a recipe for you saying something at the table you immediately regret. If the last two years have taught us anything, and I believe it has not, it is that we are obligated to care for each other, but also ourselves. This might be extremely bad advice, even for me. But why not send him up to Central Valley alone to spend the holidays with his brother? Hear me out. You tell him the truth that the past two years have worn you down and then the past two months have worn you out. Remind him how much boarding the dogs over a holiday costs. Call your sister-in-law if you have that kind of relationship. Tell her you care for her, love her kids if they have kids, but that this year is really for the brothers, which it is. Don't frame it in terms of, I don't want to go, but in terms of, honestly, I am exhausted. All things being equal, I'll just sleep and putter over those two days, which sounds like two weeks in the Bahamas to me. Maybe encourage your brother to take up some old family pictures to go through if they're the reminiscing types. Or send up a care package of treats you can only get in a larger metropolitan city as a thank you to your sister-in-law, you know, if she likes that sort of stuff. Be transparent that you are worn out. Be forthcoming with your love and support of everyone involved, but be firm about enjoying a quiet Thanksgiving, not paying for dog boarding, possibly while watching a dog show. 
and I sincerely hope everybody involved gets what they need. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, not so tough. Dear Quinn, I don't think anyone can help with this problem of my own making, but here goes. The last year has been really tough, with long-haul COVID ending with my left foot being amputated and all food tasting wrong. My problem is I have always felt the need to be the toughest person in the family. I don't know why. No one has asked me to be tough, so there is no reason for this. The problem is that it's really hard learning how to walk on my new foot, and I just can't admit it to my family, who are all here in Israel with me. It's making me crazy. My hair is even falling out. Maybe I'm not so much asking for advice, but just need to share it in the hopes it will make me feel better. Oh well, off to make another meal that will taste like shit. I think you are tough. Not that you asked. I think you are tough in the purest sense of the word, because you are standing upright in this storm, and you are enduring tidal force gales of bullshit. You get up every morning, and you comb your hair to work around the weirdness, and then you get yourself to physical therapy to learn how to walk, which is certainly something none of us thought we would be studying for after the age of, oh, two. And then you have a nice restorative meal of library paste. And then you're living in Israel, a country as tough as a drill sergeant eating a breakfast of Kevlar. Israeli people are tough. They take pride in it. But they're not asking you to be tough right now. You were not given that task, and you didn't ask for any of this. Let's consider that tidal force gale of bullshit again. What kind of tree handles the brunt of a storm better, an oak or a willow? We're not going to get too far into this one, as one of the many things that I am not is an arborist. But the willow bends, the oak does not. Maybe your strength and toughness right now takes the form of saying out loud, I hate this. And yes, it will not change anything, but you are allowed to say that none of this is what you imagined. You aren't whining. You aren't weak. And even if you are weak, so what? We're all weak. And then we're strong. And then sometimes we eat ice cream for breakfast. You didn't so much ask for advice as want to say it out loud to someone in hopes that would help. If hearing me read your words helped at all, I'm very glad. The only non-advice I'm going to offer you is to redefine toughness and then know that you had those ruby slippers all along. Also, swear. There are studies that show that swearing has a great effect on diminishing pain. So use all of them all the time. There are longer solutions ahead of you, but I'm not going to suggest them because A, you did not ask for them, and B, I have no idea how Israeli social services works. Although, I would love for you to see if maybe you could get some mental health help right now. You earned it. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, Cat grooming. Dear Quinn, our cat has long hair, and her grooming habits are, shall we say, lackadaisical. She has accumulated a rather alarming amount of dried, 
matter around her rear region. Clearly, this needs to be removed, but I'm at a loss as to how. It's remotely possible that the mats could be clipped off with scissors, but getting her to hold still long enough to even attempt that would be problematic. I feel as though she could be persuaded to spend an hour or so in a sits bath. It might be softened up enough so it gently washed away, but again, getting her to do this for long enough, or at all, would be a challenge. Since I know you've had experience in dealing with myriad of cats, I'm wondering if you've encountered a challenge like this before and if you know of a strategy to deal with it. Not only is it icky, but it can't possibly be good for her to be wearing that all the time. Gratefully, Cat Mom and Part-Time Feline Beautician. Dear Consort, I know that when you edit my material, you have to listen to me talk over and over and over again. And the answer to this one would be so ghastly that I don't think you would ever forget it. So here is what I am going to offer you, Cat Mom. In the notes for this episode, there will be links that I think are really good for handling this situation. And that way, Concert doesn't have to hear me say them. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, The Name Game. This one is a little different. This is an answer to a question I got before. I just had to write in about the person upset about her son going by a different first name. People go by different names all the time, and it simply doesn't matter. My family weirdly on both sides, is full of people who have nicknames completely unrelated to given names. Uncle Scott's real name is Gary. Uncle Butch's real name is Daryl. Two Aunt Sally's, Dolores and Velma. Two Aunt Mooses, Frances and Mildred. And a butterfly, whose name is Christine. My grandfather had three legal names by the time he was 13. Let the kid love his name. I couldn't have said it better myself. And now, before we go to our next question, I would love to tell you about Libro.fm. And yes, this is an ad. I have been very careful about not having ads up until now. I wanted to have products I really believed in and I really used. I really believe in and I really use Libro.fm. What is Libro.fm? It is an app which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 215,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You're going to get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, and I believe you know which one that is. But you will be part of a different story. This is what we can do right now for our independent bookstores. Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice has a special offer for you, the new listener at Libro FM. Go to Libro.fm forward slash redeem forward slash Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N, sign up for a membership and get two books for the price of one. We can listen to books and we can help our local bookstores. Let's keep them going. And now back to some bad advice. This one comes from Twitter. Subject, Thanksgiving cocktail. I want to wow my friends with a Thanksgiving cocktail, preferably something that goes with hors d'oeuvres. 
anything that could be made in a large batch and ahead of time come to mind? Uh, yeah. My suggestion is the boulevardier. Ooh, I'm French. An easy-to-prepare and delightfully likable little soul. The recipe is one part Campari, one part bourbon, one part sweet vermouth, all of which you can get at any liquor store. So, if you're making a single cocktail, it would be one ounce of Campari, one ounce bourbon, one ounce sweet vermouth. Whatever your batch is, one-third, one-third, one-third. Get fresh sweet vermouth, but it doesn't need to be expensive. Pour each cocktail over ice, stir for a few seconds, cut a bit of orange peel, press the peel orange side out over the drink to spray a little orange oil over the drink, and then drop the peel in the drink. You're done, and your friends are wowed. They're going to love it. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, food indifference. Dear Quinn, I'm an at-home mom to two kids, ages five and eight. I am also a person who is nearly wholly indifferent to food. I snack when I'm hungry, and I don't have any weird things about what or when I eat. Food just has never been interesting to me. My mother worked hard to teach me how to remember the other people like to eat and talk about eating, and way back when people coming over was a thing, I did try to remember that you should put out a snack for guests. But my children, they eat all the time, constantly. I don't find it difficult to wash and cut fruit or open packages of baby carrots, yogurt, and seaweed, but their constant desire for me to suggest foods for them to eat is killing me. We have the microwave and dishes low enough for them to use. I do my best to do the work of selecting their options in the grocery app so I can just point them at the kitchen when the I'm hungry, what's for nonsense starts. I do try to pay enough attention to them so that what can I eat is not a substitute for get up and interact with me and consider my desires. I think they're just growing, active and hungry all the time. And maybe I don't do a great job of figuring out actually filling foods for them. How much longer until they understand I am not interested in curating meals and snacks? Do you have any suggestions about making all this less annoying? If you couldn't recognize the color blue, you'd let your children know because it would explain a great many things you said and did. You can't recognize the color food. They are old enough to understand that you are a different person than they are. So they are old enough for you to start saying, I understand that food is the difference between alive and the other way, but I just don't have any interest in it. Let's work together to make sure you and your sibling have plenty of healthy snacks. For what it's worth, I think that children who are your children's age on farms and throughout the rest of the world do a lot more to keep the family alive than Americans think children can do. Your eight-year-old is old enough to understand that meals require a bit of everything and that good food makes a person feel better than bad food. Tell that child, you are now going to start to learn to cook and start the process of dividing this boring and baffling task. There is no reason your child can't start learning about foods. If you're not up to teaching them to cook, fine. 
There's undoubtedly relatives who can teach them how to make simple things with plenty of supervision. Take them to the grocery store. Take them to the app. Read labels. See how much sugar and salt gets snuck into so-called healthy foods. Yes, you are still on the hook for 90% of this right now. But comfort yourself that every bit of work you do now means less work later. And children who know how to prepare healthy meals become adults who know how to prepare themselves healthy meals. And you're not raising them to be children. You're raising them to be adults. And that may feel like it's a long ways away, but as someone with a 21-year-old, it's really not. And think about it this way. If they really fall in love with the kitchen, the culinary arts still can't be outsourced. Maybe one of your kids is the future shining star at the Food Network, explaining to devoted fans how they started cooking at a young age because their mother thought food was weird and exhausting. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, bald is beautiful. My husband and I are hitting our mid-30s. His hair has been thinning for a while, and now he's in panic mode. I have told him he should shave his head, and I'd like it. He's exploring those hair club options instead. I don't think they work, and I'm concerned he'll throw money at something that's just silly. How can I convince him not to worry about going bald? Oh, you cannot. Everyone has their thing about which they are not rational, and it is not open for debate. Tell your husband you adore him. Remind him that the hair club stuff doesn't look plausible and will basically be like walking around with a BMW on his head. And then, like he should do with his hair, you have to let it go gracefully. This one comes from Twitter. Hi, Quinn. My dad is 68. He's been overweight my whole life, has a history of respiratory illness. He refuses to get the COVID vaccine. When I pleaded with him to reconsider because I was worried about him, he told me his medical decisions are none of my business, and yet I'm his medical power of attorney. He accused me of prioritizing my ideology over his well-being. We haven't spoken in months. We've often had intense political debates and differences of opinion, but these words really hurt. With the holidays coming up, I feel pressure to reconcile, but I also don't want to be treated with the kind of contempt he's shown me over this issue, or be in close quarters with an unvaccinated person. Then again, this is my dad. If you were in my shoes, what would you do? Oof. This is a brainwashed old man, and I am so sorry for the situation Rupert Murdoch has visited upon you. Rupert Murdoch, who is vaccinated, as is everyone your father is clinging to right now. Where I am recording this is temperate climes, so we have the luxury of seeing people outdoors all year round, which dilutes the risk somewhat, but not everyone does, and lots of people are going to be coming up against this problem this year, so I'm not just going to suggest a Christmas beach picnic and leave it at that. I go back to my favorite tool in times of trouble, a letter. I would write to my father and tell him I love him, and I wouldn't want our last words to have been our, well, last words to each other. And then I'd ask him what his plans are for the holidays. You don't know, since you haven't talked. 
Maybe he's going to a QAnon singles Christmas mixer. He will either respond or he won't. With that new information, you will take another step. The writer E.L. Doctorow once said that writing a novel is like driving a car at night. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip home that way. Turn on your headlights and start the trip. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D.com, and there's a question form right there. If you want to show people your feelings about bad advice, we now have bad advice merchandise with our fork and a toaster logo at quincummings.com forward slash merch. We do add new products from time to time, so check out the catalog. And let me know what you think. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Primary Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time.